Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're excited to be coming to you through this platform today. We hope that your heart is encouraged, that your faith is stirred by what God speaks to you today. God bless you. Enjoy the message. I am so excited about this message today. I'm looking forward to what God's going to speak to us. It's something that he has been speaking to me for a while, that he's been kind of stirring in my heart. And so I have the incredible honor and opportunity of kicking off our series, kind of setting the trajectory, the overview, the direction for where we're going. And over the next several weeks, all of our locations are going to be hearing from their local teams as we keep diving into this idea of now we eat. So should we get into it? Let's do it. Okay, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 10 and verse 13. It's where we're going to start today. It's not a very long verse, but it's going to set the tone for where we're going. This is the voice of God speaking to Peter from heaven. Peter has found himself in a vision from heaven. And in Acts 10 and 13, it says, Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. God, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that it is living and active and moving and speaking to us today. And we ask you to speak to us. I ask you, God, to speak through me today. I thank you for what you have spoken to me, and I ask you for words to communicate it clearly, for the strength, for the ability to convey what you have spoken to me in private here in public, God. And whatever is of you, let it take deep root in our lives. Help it change us, form us, make us more like you, and produce good fruit in the days to come. And whatever's just me, whatever's the just extra, let it be left here, let it be forgotten. And we ask you to walk with us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Why don't you tell somebody next to you, now we eat. Yeah. And if you hear some chuckles around our locations, if there's some laughter in the downtown campus, if Lima has some giggles going across the room and you don't know what's going on, we are so glad that you're visiting with us today. And we want you to know that we just got done with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And it was awesome. And God did some incredible Things. We saw salvations over those 21 days. We saw healings over those 21 days. God opened doors where we didn't know they could be opened. And I believe over this year, we are going to continue to see answers to prayers for seeds we planted over those 21 days. But our 21 days of prayer and fasting is over. Your prayer continues. But now we eat. And I want to talk to us about eating because when we look throughout scripture, there is actually far more in scripture about eating and feasting and the role that food plays in our life and in our faith. All throughout scripture, God gathers people around food to celebrate and he gathers them around food to join them together and to connect them together. Our fasting has a place and it has a purpose. And he calls us to times of fasting, but he calls us to a lifestyle of feasting in his presence because our food tells a story about who we are. 
And our food tells a story about where we've been. Our food, when I look at what you eat and how you eat and the way your family gathers together and the way your friends gather together, it tells me something about who you are. On Christmas Eve in the Ryburn household, we eat rice, steamed vegetables, and shrimp or prawns, depending on your place in the world. Why do we eat this? We eat this on Christmas Eve, and we have done since Phil and I got married, because my husband grew up in Australia. And in Australia, Christmas is a summer holiday. They're on the other side of the world, which means that December is a summer month. Doesn't that make all of your sensory senses feel real weird? (laughs) December is what? December is a summer month in Australia, which means that Christmas is a summer holiday in Australia. And the season affects the food that you eat and the way that you celebrate. Roasted potatoes doesn't sound quite so good when it's 90 degrees outside. And so Christmas food in Australia is more things like seafood and salads and fruit and outside and on the beach and in the sun and in the pool and all of that sounds so lovely right now. And so the first year that we got married, I was so aware that because our food tells a story of who we are and our food is so connected to what we're doing that I sat down and I thought, what can I do to make sure that something about this feels normal, something about this feels connected to what my husband has come from, and more importantly, that we don't lose a part of who we are as we set up our family. Because a part of who we are is Australian. And a part of who we are is American. The bigger part of who we are is kingdom people. And so we started this tradition of having seafood on Christmas Eve and we sit down and we have this special meal that we've made because I wanted part of our story to be connected to part of where we've come from. And just by knowing that you've learned part of our story. That who we are is not just a couple who grew up in Midwest Ohio, but that we met on the other side of the world and that my husband grew up in Australia and that we have family in Australia. And that is part of our celebration. But more than that, because we've done it for eight years now, I can look back every time we make that meal and I think about the first few years that we had it together and it was just the two of us and we sat down to this peaceful, quiet, mm, lovely meal with candlelight and we slowly reflected on the wonder of a Christ who comes and on the year that we'd had and the year we would have and it was so peaceful and I think about the year that Phil's side of the family came and visited us and spent Christmas with us and we had all 15 of us crammed in our house and trust me our house is not built for 15 people but we were all crammed around our table and I had a huge pile of shrimp made and a huge pot of rice made and we all gathered around the table and there were shells everywhere and I learned on that night that one of my brother-in-laws doesn't eat shrimp and I didn't know that even though I'd known him for like five years and so I had nothing to feed him except for steamed vegetables and rice on Christmas Eve I will never forget that fact now 
And I think about our Christmas Eves now with tiny people all over. There is no stillness and there is no quiet and there is rice everywhere with all of its tiny kernels and we're cutting the shrimp into the teeny tiniest of pieces so that we can distribute it to everyone and really we're just trying to get through the meal without breaking something or losing someone so that we can get to the gift part so that we can get them to bed so that maybe we can get back to that sweet, quiet, reflective time that we experienced so many years ago. But our food tells us a story about where we've been and about who we are and sometimes about where we're going. And if we went around our locations, all of you could tell me about food or I could tell you about something and it would connect you to a story if we started talking about your menudo and your curries and your greens and your meat pies and who made that recipe and how it's connected to your family story and your lineage and where you came from because our food tells us a story. And all of our story as believers, all of who we are, is connected and starts with this piece about food. It's all throughout the scripture. Because at the very beginning, God placed Adam and Eve in a garden, and he gave them a directive about food. He gave them some instruction about food. Way back at the very beginning, there was something about what we eat and what we take in that he had some instruction for. He set that in, them in that garden and he told them what? How many of you thought, don't eat of that tree? That's not what he told them. He told them, eat. He told them, eat of all of this. Let's look at it. Genesis 1 and 29 says, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And then in Genesis 2 and 16 through 17, we know Genesis 1 and 2 kind of tell us parallel stories and they fill in pieces and gaps for one another. So in Genesis 2, we see the same portion. It says, and the Lord God commanded them saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but, and here comes the clause, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day you shall eat of it. You shall surely die. Before he said anything about what they shouldn't eat, before he said anything about the thing that he didn't want them to touch, he gave them a command to eat, to be nourished, His primary command to them was to eat, was to be filled on all of the fruits and all of the vegetables and everything in seed form that he had provided for them. And secondarily, he said, by the way, there's something over there that I want you to leave alone. I don't know if you've ever hosted people in your home or if you've ever visited someone else's home and if they come into your home and you want them to feel welcome and you want them to feel present and you say to them, hey, our home is your home. Be welcome here. You can eat anything we have for you here. And then you remember and you say, oh, but by the way, we're hosting the Super Bowl on Sunday. So if you could leave those cupcakes alone, I've got those for Sunday, right? Right? Now, how odd would it be if those people left your house and said, can you believe how stingy they are? They told me not to touch those cupcakes that they had in the corner. Or if they just kept going after the cupcakes. No, you would leave that house and say, what a generous family. 
how generous they've been to me. They invited me into their space and they said everything that I had, everything that they had, I could have as well. You would say how kind they were and how thoughtful they were and how well they had provided for you. But Adam and Eve started to not look at God's great generosity and all that he had provided for them. They started to look at the one thing. They couldn't help but lingering around those cupcakes a little bit. You have to wonder what Eve was even doing by the tree. You have the whole garden. Why are you even near that tree that you know you're not supposed to touch? But she kind of kept just lingering by it, looking around it, trying to figure out what, what shape is that fruit, I wonder. I wonder if those cupcakes have cream filling on the inside or if they're just plain. Just lingering near the thing that God told her not to touch. And he said, I've given you all of these things. And we know how the story goes. Eventually Eve eats of it and eventually Adam eats of it. And it creates a division because they couldn't leave alone. The one thing that God told them, just don't touch that. In all of my generosity, I've given you all of this. But I need you to leave alone this one thing. And I wonder what God is speaking to you about in your own life this week and this day and over our time of prayer and fasting. And he says, I have all of this for you. I have so much goodness for your life and so much peace for your life and so much hope for your life and relationships and jobs and opportunities, but I need you to let go of something to go after the thing that I have for you. There's something over here. You gotta let go of that relationship. You gotta let go of that part of your history. You gotta let go of that narrative. You have to let go of that weakness and not make it your crutch every single day if you're gonna run after what I have for you. Come on, Abram, come up out of that place to the place that I am gonna call you into but we keep being drawn back to this one thing. And when Adam and Eve are drawn back to their one thing, we know that sin enters the world. And what sin does when it enters the world is that it creates separation. It creates a break in relationship. Come on, if that person was in your house and you said, anything in my house, you can eat of it, but leave those cupcakes alone because I have something on Sunday that I need them for and you came home and they had eaten your cupcakes, how would you feel? Violated, like a break had happened in the trust in your relationship with them. Because you would say, I told you you could have anything, just that one thing, not to touch it. And that's what happened in our relationship with God, is this separation came and it created a break in the relationship that God intended for us between creation. And it created a break in the relationship that God intended for us with him. And it created a break in the relationship that God intended for us with one another. And all of the sudden, we found ourselves isolated. We found ourselves separated. And we see the effects of those things still playing out today. 
Think of all of the things that happen that we're seeing, that we're seeing rises in depression and in anxiety because people have separated themselves from God and separated ourselves from one another. Because we find ourselves not in good relationship, not connected, not leaning on each other for support, not reaching out in our times of need, but we find ourselves separated from the place that God originally intended us to be in. But the good news is that Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he came to restore that relationship. He came to put us back in right relationship with all of creation and right relationship with himself and right relationship with each other. He came to put us back in a place of connection, back in a place where our relationships can thrive, where we can lean on each other and grow in each other and be drawn closer to who he is in the way that we connect through one another. And when we see Jesus doing it, he does it over food. All throughout his ministry, of all of the things that he could have chosen, Time and time again, we see him ministering through food. He comes and says, I am putting you back in right relationship. And there is something about what you take in to your body, what you receive from the table, what you receive from my hand that is going to help draw you into my presence. And we're going to continue diving into it all month long. I want to encourage you to keep showing up. But time and time again, we see Jesus saying, come to this table. Come near me and be eat and eat. We see him launch his ministry at a wedding feast, turning water into wine. We see a woman with an alabaster box around a table. We see a woman at a well that he says, I know that you're thirsty, but I can provide for that. When he restores Peter, he says, come and eat breakfast with me, Peter, because I have something that I want to tell you. We see it when he speaks to the Syrophoenician woman who, my girl, he calls her a dog and she doesn't miss a beat and says, even the dogs have to eat. And I have to look at it and think that there was something that Jesus was doing intentionally because the arc of scripture tells me that he didn't see any person as a dog. But when she responded so quickly and when she responded, even the dog has to eat. I think there was something that God was showing us in that moment about the fact that all of us have to eat. I don't care where you came from and I don't care what your story is. And I don't care what brought you here. I don't care how broken you feel or how whole you feel. At some point, you have to sit down at a table and say, you know what? I can't do all of this by myself. There is something outside of me that has to come inside of me to add strength to who I am, to add nourishment to who I am, to drive me farther into his presence. He fed the 5,000 over and over, Jesus gathered people around food. And he said, this is how I'm choosing to do my ministry with you. And so we find Peter. Jesus has risen. He has returned to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. And Peter is the rock that is establishing the church the church that we now live in, that we get to be a part of, that has been growing and gathering strength. 
If you're new among us, we do not believe in a shrinking, withering, weak church. We believe that the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well, that it is full of life, that it is the answer to the people of God, that it is the answer to our cities. And Peter is kicking off that church. And all of a sudden in Acts 10, God starts to speak to him. And what gets Peter here is God comes to him and Peter says, I'm hungry. And the people he's with start to prepare him some food. And as the food is being prepared, God speaks to him in a vision or in a trance. And in this vision and in this trance, he sees all kinds of different animals. And then he hears God say, arise, kill and eat. Eat all that you see. And Peter, I always love Peter's audacity. responds with great conviction, surely not. Nothing unclean has ever touched me. And God responds again, do not call what I have called clean, unclean. I am trying to instruct you in something, Peter. I'm trying to explain something to you. I'm trying to tell you that the food that used to be restricted, now Peter's response wasn't entirely ridiculous. He had been raised as a good Jewish boy. And in Jewish culture, there were foods that were restricted from their diet. If you want to read about it, you can look in Leviticus 11 under the Mosaic law. God laid out all of these things that he didn't want them to eat, that he wanted to refrain from, to make it clear that they were his people. But Jesus came to lift and remove every single barrier. To say, I have lifted the restrictions, come and eat at my table. Now the thing about this here with Peter is that this is not the first time this has been told to Peter. When Jesus was alive and present, he told them, I am lifting the food restrictions. But Peter didn't grasp it then. He didn't quite get what Jesus was saying. Because sometimes there are traditions, there are habits, there are things in our life that are so deeply ingrained in who we are, that are so a part of the way we've been raised or the way we've been taught or what we've begun to think about who God is, that even though he reveals himself to us anew, we don't quite get it that first time. We don't quite grasp what God is saying to us. If you want to look it up later... It happens in Mark 7, 18 and 19. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and talking to his disciples. And he says, are you still so dull? Now, you would think Peter would have got it. Because if Jesus starts something like, are you still so dull? That might be a key to say, I should pay attention to what's coming next. It didn't quite sink in for Peter. It says, do you not understand that nothing that enters man from the outside can defile him? Because it does not enter his heart but it goes into the stomach and then is eliminated. Thus, to drive the point home, all foods are clean. That's what Jesus told them when he was present and physically with them, but they didn't quite grasp it. And so they ha- he has to come back to Peter and say, Peter, it looks like you are still creating restrictions in food. Peter, it looks like you are still withholding and refraining, like your tradition has gotten you so entrenched, like you are so deeply ingrained in what you have been brought up in that you haven't heard the revelation of what I've spoken to you. 
And how many of us find ourselves in places where what we were raised in or what was spoken to us early on or the traditions and the habits of what we have are so deeply ingrained that God is speaking something fresh to us and he's trying to pour something else new out to us and he's trying to say to us, Wayne Campus, I have a fresh outpouring for you. East Side, you are rising up. I have something new for you, but you have to hear what I'm speaking in this season. You have to to hear what I'm saying to you in the here and the right now. And aren't we grateful for a gracious God who says, I will say it again. I will say it again. I will say it again until you get what I am saying to you. And he comes back to Peter to say it again. And he says, all of the food is clean, Peter. Don't call it unclean because I've called it clean. And the reason that this matters is because Peter's food was still telling a story. And the story that Peter's food was telling was that only some people were welcome at this table. That only some people could come and sit down. That when Jesus said go into all the world, he meant go into all the world that looks like you and has been raised like you and preach this gospel. But when Jesus said go into all the world, he said I meant go into all the world and preach this gospel. Go into the places that don't look like you and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go to people who weren't raised like you and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he comes to Peter again to speak to him and to reveal it to him because in the symbolic sense, Jesus came to prepare a table for us and say, welcome into my presence. I have lifted every restriction. I have torn the veil, and everyone is welcome at this table. And he came in a physical body so that we wouldn't become people who said, because Adam and Eve sinned, there must be something wrong with our flesh. There must be something wrong with the way that we are designed. He said, no, I'm gonna come in a physical body that looks like you and that talks like you and that moves like you so that you know it's not that there's something wrong with the way that you were designed and created because you were designed and created in the image of a mighty God. It says that he formed them and he made them in his very image for his experience express purpose. And so when he created you like this, there is intention to the way you have been made. And he said, and when I come, I'm going to gather them around tables and around meals. So just in case they think because it was in eating that Adam and Eve removed themselves out of the grace of God and out of the purpose of God, that they think that food is just a thing that we have to do. And it's, it's really not that great. And it's really actually kind of evil. He said, no, no, no. Food is something I designed for you to delight in. Food is something I designed for you to gather in. I made it taste good on purpose. I gave you taste buds on purpose because I'm a good God and because there's something about gathering around here. So because I want to be so clear that this is part of my original design for you, Jesus came ministering to us around a table. And that table represents to us the symbol of his presence, that all are welcome in his presence that everyone can come and eat from his table and hear what he's saying and be nourished in his presence. 
all are invited and all you do is accept the invitation of his presence. And in a very literal, practical sense, he is saying to Peter, I need you to get outside of what you have always known and I need you to sit down at some tables over an actual meal, over some actual food, and I need you to eat with people who didn't grow up like you. And if you keep putting these restrictions on it, you are eliminating people from the table that I have called you to reach. And I am calling you to a lifestyle of community. The community of God is calling us to a place that says, come and sit at a table and say, tell me the story of how you got here. Tell me the story of what God is speaking to you. Tell me the story of what you're struggling with. Tell me the story of what you are rejoicing in. Come and sit at that table. Because the community of God requires us to do two things. One, it requires us to fellowship with each other. It requires us to gather together and to sit down together and say, what is God speaking to you? We are only doing half of what he has called us to if we are only gathering in this place. We are never enjoying the beauty of his fellowship if we are not sitting down together, sitting around tables and saying, what did God speak to you over our days of prayer and fasting? Sitting down at tables and saying, how can I be praying for you today? Sitting down at tables and saying, what is, the, what is God speaking to you in scripture right now? Fellowshipping together. And then God speaks to us about the other side of our community, which is the reaching out. That he has called us to be people that draw others in. That reach others When we sit down with believers, we say, tell us, tell me what God is saying to you right now. And when we reach outside, we say, tell me about what you believe about faith. Tell me about where you are. We come in with asking, with searching, with seeking to understand, with leaning into what are you needing right now? What is missing in your life right now? And see if God won't show up in that table and in that presence. And he is calling us to reach into these spaces in new ways. I want to thank all of you who are life group leaders, who have raised your hand to be people who say, I can help create a space for someone to come and to discuss and to talk about who God is. Across our locations, we have so many new life group leaders, Jason and Tracy and Sarah and Doug and Hadida and Sid and Sharon and David and Beth and Barbara and Fred and Kim and Simon have all started life groups over the last couple months. Come on, we are so grateful to you for creating a space because we have to get good at making spaces where we can connect about who God has made us to be. Because there's something about eating. This is the thing about eating, is that it levels the field. There is something when we sit down at a table together that says all of us have to do this. All of us have to sit here and have to eat at some point. 
And we've done it in different ways and we've learned different things about our food and we have different preferences, but none of us are fully sustained within ourselves. None of us can just go on living without eating anything. And so it levels the playing field and it says, already we have something in common. If I thought we had nothing in common, we share this, that you have to eat and that I have to eat. And it reminds us that we're vulnerable, that we're fragile, that we are, that we are yet finite and on a journey towards who God is. And it gives us something to talk about. Have you ever been in a conversation where you think, I don't know anything to speak to this person about? If there is something on the table, we can talk about what's on the table, Right? That's amazing how they wrapped these things in this bacon like this. It's so, what do you think they used to keep it together? And it begins opening us up to each other. And it tells our story. It tells who God made us to be. It tells where God's brought us from. It tells where we're going. When we start talking about those things and sharing about those things, and God has called us to be people in community. He has not called us to be people who are isolated. Isolation is an outworking of the sin that entered the world through Adam and Eve. And God came, Jesus came to bring us back into relationship. Not to hang out on the outside. Because in isolation, we begin to speak to all of the lies that we've heard. We begin to feed that victim mentality that says, I'm the only one who's dealing with this. And no one else knows what it's like to struggle with this. And nobody else has suffered like I have suffered. And nobody knows my sorrows. Because it's easy to do that out here by yourself, but you get drawn into community a little bit, and it's easier to say, oh, wow, you're really struggling with some things too. You really have some hurt and pain in your life as well. You've really walked through something as well. And guess what? That requires us on the other side to also be willing to say, I don't have it all together. We're dealing with some things right now as well. We're walking through some things right now as well. Or we have walked through some things right now as well. And let me tell you how God has brought us out. Not too long ago, a few weeks ago, I had a situation where I had to apologize to some people that are in my world because they were dealing with something. And I looked back and I said, oh, wow, I'm hearing you talk. I can hear that it feels like this is a new and a unique pressure in your life. And I went through this several years ago when we were together and and I'm hearing that I wasn't honest enough about what it was like for me when I was walking through it. That a little bit I tried to hold it all together and pretend like it was all okay a little bit too much. I'm not talking about blasting all your issues on Facebook because ain't nobody got time for that. But I'm talking about when we're sitting around tables together saying, yeah, this is tough and this is hard and I'm carrying something here right now. When we made this video, our team, our creative team does such a good job capturing where we're going and leaning into what's happening. When we made this video, one of the things I told them was on my heart is I don't want it to be all fancy, pretty, Pinterest worthy tables because that's not the point. 
This is not about if you know how to set candelabras and levels and cloth tablecloths. And I think someday we should have F.A. and Pastor Kathy do like a table off because nobody sets more beautiful tables than the two of them. Like they are awesome at it. And if that's your thing, you should go at it and you should gather people around that table. My table, normally, I'm just like, it's a score of a night if it doesn't have yogurt handprints on it somewhere from tiny humans. And we can gather around tables in fast food restaurants. We can gather around pizza and around takeout. It's not about what it looks like. It's about that we have gathered together to talk about who he is and to connect with one another and to share a meal together. I know I'm driving this point home, but I want us to hear that symbolically, yes, we gather at the table of his presence, but I don't want you to leave and think that's all I'm talking about. I'm talking about on Tuesday, who are you calling to say, you know what, we haven't caught up in a while, and we need to sit down, and I want to talk, and I want to share something with you, something that makes me say we have this in common. Let's find our common ground. Let's think about all of the things in our society, in our community that would be shattered if we would just take the time. All of the things, all of the economic prejudices that we build up about what it was like to grow up in this neighborhood or that neighborhood that get broken down when we sit down and find out, oh, you know what? We share a lot more in common than we do different all of the gender bias and all of the race bias and all of the issues that create the ugliness in our society if we would just come to the table together. Amen, church? We're gonna keep leaning into it, but we are gonna be people committed to coming to the table. Come on, tell somebody next to you, now we eat. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who is with us, that you came to us. Holy Spirit, that you're still present with us. We thank you for food and for the wonder and the pleasure and the opportunity to gather together. And I speak over the relationships that are gonna be formed, over the people that are gonna be gathered and strengthened and encouraged in your presence, God. We thank you for what you've spoken to us today. And we ask you to keep speaking to us all month long. Every day of our life, we ask you to speak to us. In your holy name. I hope that message meant something to you and that it means something in your days to come. Yeah, if this message has blessed you and you wanna sow into the ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can do so from wherever you are today. Simply jump on our website at cornerstone.church and you can find the link there so that you can give in whatever way is most convenient to you. And we'll see you back here next time.